0: This is KUAF 91.3, a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. This is Ozarks at Large for Monday, January 31st, 2022. I'm Kyle Kellums. On our show for this last day of the month, another outdoor-themed business is expanding into northwest Arkansas.
1: So one of the challenges uh, in kayak manufacturing is just getting the product to the consumer, right? You know, we like to joke that we ship big boxes of air.
0: Line Kayaks this month announced it would place a distribution center in our region. More about that in our second half hour. And in about five minutes, an observation of Holocaust Remembrance Day on the University of Arkansas campus. An update on new COVID-19 numbers in Arkansas will be provided later today by the Arkansas Department of Health. The usually daily calculations for the department are paused for scheduled maintenance for the ADH's reporting dashboard. The last update, provided Friday afternoon, indicated more than 5,600 new diagnosed cases that day and 20 newly confirmed deaths from the virus. Some employers in Arkansas are expected to face increased competition for employees as the state continues to recover economically from the pandemic. This week on Talk Business and Politics, Mervyn Jebaraj, an economist with the University of Arkansas Walton College of Business, said the state saw a significant increase in new businesses
2: Over the last two years. The number of business applications in Arkansas in 2020 and 2021 skyrocketed. In fact, it's the fastest growth in business applications. Uh, in Arkansas that we've ever seen, and it's the fastest growth in business applications nationwide as well.
0: According to the latest data from the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, Arkansas's unemployment is at its lowest point in decades at 3.1 percent. Jebaraj predicts education and health care industries will continue to face staffing shortages during the next year due to concerns about the ongoing pandemic. Jibaraj also says federal stimulus money over the past two years helped prompt a record number of applications for new businesses throughout the state.
2: We sort of built a temporary social welfare state, and that spurred a lot of people to quit their jobs and start businesses. So in addition to the businesses that already existed in 2019 and early 2020, looking for people to work, There are all of a sudden brand new businesses that are also trying to hire people.
0: And Talk Business and Politics also reports a big boost for sales tax revenue for the four biggest cities in northwest Arkansas. The January sales tax reports relating to November sales of goods and services show a combined increase of more than 11.5% for Bentonville, Fayetteville, Rogers and Springdale when compared to the same monthly report a year ago. Fayetteville revenue grew by almost 20% for the best January report on record. Bentonville did report a decrease in year to year comparison, down about 15.5%, but city officials note the January report last year represented a whopping 49% increase over the previous year. Gas prices in Arkansas continue to climb. GasBuddy.com reports the average cost of a gallon of gas in Arkansas is at $2.98. That's a two cent increase in a week a nearly nine-cent hike in the last month, and about 81 cents more expensive than this time last year. GasBuddy.com surveys more than 1,800 gas stations in Arkansas each week. It would be hyperbole to say we're going to experience all four seasons in the next four days, but we will transition from spring-like temperatures this afternoon to winter weather by midweek. The National Weather Service expects highs this afternoon in the mid-60s and lows tonight in the mid-40s. Good to almost certain chances of precipitation exist beginning tomorrow, with some kind of sleet, freezing rain, and snow mixture entering our picture by midweek. Lows by Thursday and Friday nights will be dropping into the teens. And Walton Arts Center is adding a pair of shows to the summer and autumn schedules for the Walmart Amp. Josh Groban will be performing in Rogers Thursday, July 21st, and the Black Keys will be headlining a show on Thursday, October 13th. Tickets for both concerts go on sale Friday morning at 10 through the usual Walton Art Center outlets. This is Ozarks at Large. Last week marked 77 years since the liberation of Auschwitz concentration camp. On Thursday, students and community members at the University of Arkansas honored International Holocaust Remembrance Day with a special gift for their role in passing anti-Semitic legislation. Ozarks at Large's Daniel Carruth
3: brings us this report. Dozens of people file into a conference room in the Multicultural Center on the University of Arkansas campus, as Toby Klein projects a Zoom meeting onto a screen at the front of the room. Klein, a doctoral student and co-president of Temple Shalom in Fayetteville, is leading the dedication of a pin. Not just any pin, but one used to sign Holocaust education into law in Arkansas last year.
4: But I want everyone to be able to see
3: that this is a part of Arkansas history. Arkansas ranks last in the U.S. for student knowledge of the Holocaust, according to a nationwide survey conducted by a Jewish research group in 2020. Klein says this event, held on Holocaust Remembrance Day, recognizes not only those lost and survivors of the genocide, but also a group of Arkansans who petitioned for this landmark bill.
4: We want to make sure that people are engaging with us. They're welcome to join with us. We want them to reach out. Um, Holocaust survivors cannot solve Holocaust education on their own the same way that the Jewish community cannot solve anti-Semitism on their own. We need our allies with us.
3: Among those honored was Barry Brown, a former University of Arkansas professor who helped start the Arkansas Holocaust
5: Education Committee. It was very easy for me to get involved. And that was because my first cousin sat down with a few of us when I was living back in Brooklyn, New York, and I looked at his arm and he showed me his tattoos, the numbers, and started to explain to us what he had gone through in the concentration camp. And it was so gruesome, most of us couldn't even listen to it. But that began my long need, desire to make sure that everyone really knew what happened.
3: Brown's mother and first cousin are survivors of the Holocaust. The International Holocaust Remembrance Education Bill was signed into law last year by Governor Asa Hutchinson with overwhelming support in the State House and Senate. It requires all schools to teach curriculum on the Holocaust for all 5th through 12th grade
5: students in the state. Fifty-six legislators and the House and Senate ended up sponsoring the bill, and it passed unanimously last April.
3: And Klein says now getting that curriculum in front of students is vital.
4: About 60% of our students cannot name a single concentration camp. Um, About 60% of our students didn't know that uh, six million Jews were murdered in the Holocaust. One in about 10 of our students believed that um, the Jews were the perpetrators
3: of the Holocaust. And after speaking with other states that have passed similar legislation, Brown says they found engaging teachers with the material is the next step to make the law impactful.
5: It was not good enough simply to pass the law because many of the teachers were not really interested, in, involved in it. So we're now starting, after the bill is passed, is a special fund called AHEAD, A-H-E-A-D. And what we're going to do is raise money so that we can award scholarships to teachers in the state and each congressional district who come up with the best curriculum, and they will receive an award for that. Our ultimate goal, I think everybody's, is to increase tolerance, reduce bigotry and, pe- and prejudice, and uh, it occurs only through and can only occur through education. Arkansans
3: can often feel removed from the atrocities of the Nazi concentration camps. The state has one of the smallest Jewish populations, only about 2,200 people. But Klein says it is important for students in the state to understand the circumstances that led to the Holocaust and how anti-Semitism continues to play out in many aspects of American life today.
4: Our students aren't even being taught in some cases, but they are being taught about Um, anti-Semitism, they are being taught about neo-Nazi ideology. They are being taught about QAnon. All these things that are deeply rooted in anti-Semitism, they're being exposed to neo-Nazi ideology, especially in the pandemic. We've seen what algorithms can do to get well-intentioned folks into traps that are deeply anti-Semitic, that rely on deeply anti-Semitic tropes. And there's a lot of fear there. And so we wanna teach about the importance of collaboration. This pen is a collaborative effort. Republicans, Democrats, Jews, Muslims, Christians, all walks of life gathered together from all across the state of
3: Arkansas. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Daniel Carruth. Ivermectin is an FDA-approved
0: generic drug to treat parasites in humans. An over-the-counter remedy is also available to treat large and small animals and a growing number of people continue to take the prescription and animal ivermectin to prevent or treat COVID-19 infection. Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Froelich spoke with an avid ivermectin user, several medical experts, and an attorney with ACLU Arkansas. That organization recently filed a federal lawsuit against a local physician dispensing ivermectin to county jail inmates.
6: When the COVID-19 pandemic was declared nearly two years ago, word soon spread about a cheap, widely available remedy called ivermectin, used to treat parasites by prescription in people and sold over-the-counter as a medicine for animals. Eureka Springs resident John Moria has been taking animal ivermectin for over a year.
7: And it's a gel that comes out, and I take for my weight... um, About the size of a lima bean, it's apple-flavored.
6: The potter, blacksmith, and Christian motivational speaker says he's never been infected with COVID-19. He's also never submitted to testing. He encourages others to try ivermectin.
1: It's for um,
7: parasites, bots, and it's antiviral.
6: Such belief that ivermectin kills the COVID-19 virus traces back to 2020 lab research conducted overseas showing the drug inhibiting replication of viruses in vitro in test containers. Recent meta-analysis of randomized controlled trials on small groups of people infected with COVID-19 comparing ivermectin to no treatment, conventional care, or placebo yielded unreliable results. Ivermectin adherence, now widely sourced, the International Frontline COVID 19 Critical Care Alliance, comprised of physicians and journalists who post epidemiological data from places like India, Zimbabwe, and Argentina, showing ivermectin protocols driving down COVID case rates.
8: It's just simply not acceptable to point to declines in, in COVID rates and increases in ivermectin use as proof of ivermectin effectiveness.
6: Peter Lurie, MD, president of the Center for Science and the Public Interest in Washington, D.C., has been monitoring the growing use of ivermectin by Americans to treat or prevent COVID-19.
8: Ivermectin is a drug that's been around for quite a long time. It's been used in humans for lice, scabies, and especially for river blindness in West Africa. Um, And it's also been used uh, as an antiparasitic drug in animals. Um, So it's a drug with a long history. It's got real legitimate purposes. Um, The question, though, is whether or not there's any evidence of effectiveness in the treatment of COVID.
6: Ivermectin is promoted on social media and conservative news networks as a safe, cheap COVID-19 prophylactic and remedy. Scant data exists on physicians prescribing Ivermectin and the number of patients and people seeking it tracking use of veterinarian evermectin by people is impossible.
8: You know, if you go to most mainstream hospitals, they're fully aware of recommendations against use of this product by the World Health Organization, the NIH, the Infectious Disease Society of America, and they go along with those recommendations. It's people along the margins who have been touting this product.
6: FDA labeling for Stromectol, the brand name for prescription evermectin, depending on dosage and duration, warns it may cause fatigue. Myriad gastrointestinal distress, skin rash, edema, vertigo, lymph node enlargement, or coma. The FDA has not authorized or approved ivermectin for use in preventing or treating COVID-19 in humans or animals, which can catch the virus. And Lurie says there is also collateral risk
8: that if you believe that you are protected against getting infected with COVID, you may not do the things that actually will protect you, like social distancing, like masking, like taking the vaccine.
6: Lurie says to establish Avermectin as a safe and effective treatment for COVID-19, the generic drug must go through large controlled clinical human trials. Cardiologist and clinical research scientist, Adrian Hernandez, MD, is executive director of the Duke Clinical Research Institute in Durham, North Carolina. He's coordinating the Accelerating COVID-19 Therapeutic Interventions and Vaccines Program, ACTIV-6 for short.
2: And so we're studying uh, currently three uh, different uh, medications. One is ivermectin, Another is fluvoxamine that has been used in uh, depressive disorders. Um, And a third is fluticasone, which is used uh, for asthma.
6: Hernandez says 80 research sites across the U.S. are enrolling people who must be at least 30 years old, have tested positive for COVID-19 within the past 10 days and had at least two COVID-19 symptoms for a week.
2: Yeah, so we started enrolling in June, uh, so the summer and uh, like the Omicron surge, uh, so have we seen a surge in participation in active six? And so we have over 2,700 participants across all three arms. And so we expect over the um, coming months that, that we'll uh, start having results um, from these three different arms.
6: Referring to the three medications,
2: ivermectin was one of those drugs that was evaluated. And the context there was that um, some of the earlier data suggesting that it may have activity and you know potential um, use as well as it is being used in the community. And so given that it's an important question either way to understand does it have any benefits or does it have no benefits?
6: The National Institutes of Health National Center for Advancing Translational Sciences is sponsoring the active six platform trial to study the effects of the three drugs concurrently on enrollees. It will determine key characteristics to enable more pragmatic and efficient future clinical research, he says.
2: What well, we really need to understand, does it have a, um, any impact in the clinical world uh, for um, uh, COVID-19? And so that's our focus Is how does it help humans or not?
6: The findings, Hernandez says, will help to further off-label drug research to treat mild to moderate COVID-19 and prevent hospitalizations. A few Northwest Arkansas physicians prescribe pharmaceutical ivermectin to patients. The most popular is Dr. Robert Keris, a private practice physician in Fayetteville, who also operates Keris Correctional Health. Last year, Keris and Washington County Sheriff Tim Helder publicly disclosed inmates at the Washington County Detention Center were being treated with ivermectin. ACLU Arkansas recently filed suit in U.S. District Court for the Western District of Arkansas on behalf of four plaintiffs who claim the jail, the sheriff, and Dr. Karras were administering the drug without prior informed consent. ACLU Arkansas legal director and licensed attorney Gary Sullivan says no court date has been set and his team is in early discovery phase.
7: Interestingly, all we found out so far is that the county has not purchased any ivermectin. So uh, we do not know if Dr. Karras is getting that provided to him by the manufacturer, possibly for research purposes, or what.
6: The Arkansas Medical Board is also investigating Karras, who reportedly admitted to treating 250 inmates with ivermectin, some since November of 2020. The ACLU has no exact numbers yet, but claims inmates were initially told the treatment was a blend of vitamins, antibiotics, and or steroids. Sullivan says plaintiffs claim they were sickened by the drug.
7: They um, experienced abdominal pain, um, diarrhea, some lasting for quite some time. Um, They had nausea.
6: Dr. Karras has claimed on the record that no inmates were forced to take the drug and that he was trying to prevent COVID-19 infection and death in the jail. Sullivan says Karras continues to treat inmates with ivermectin.
7: Yes, he does. Um, We we have asked the, the sheriff to put a stop to it, and the sheriff has said that Dr. Karras has his blessing, and Dr. Karras has refused to stop.
6: Indicating some deep personal conviction that ivermectin works. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Jacqueline Froelich.
0: Just ahead on today's show, the outdoors industry in northwest Arkansas will be gaining another business soon. Washington-based Eddie Line Kayaks is preparing to develop a presence here. Details just ahead. And in about eight minutes, an archive of archives. We go back to a prior Center profile we first aired last March when Randy Dixon from the Prior Center brought us audio focusing on film and movie stars like Burt Reynolds.
9: Only since Cosmopolitan have I asked for as much privacy as I've been asking for lately, because people have gotten a little strange. Um, when I did, a I just did a movie in New York called Seamus, and uh, it was unbelievable. It was really unbelievable. We shot in Brooklyn, and we would have two, 3,000 people.
0: Burt Reynolds in Arkansas and other natural state film lore ahead on today's ozarks at large
10: ozarks at large is underwritten in part by the walton family charitable support foundation kuaf is supported by entertainment fort smith a monthly magazine with a comprehensive calendar of events covering live performances dining home design lifestyles and people profiles available at over 200 locations and on the web at efortsmith.com
0: this is ozarks at large Mountain biking is a growing piece of the Northwest Arkansas landscape and adjacent businesses are part of that growth. And adjacent to that is the rise in other outdoor businesses. Last week, Eddie Line Kayaks, based in Burlington, Washington, announced it was establishing a presence here. We asked Scott Hawley, the president of Eddy Line Kayaks, about that expansion into Northwest Arkansas.
1: We've been looking in Northwest Arkansas for a long time. Obviously, the, the area's grown quite a bit. But what we're really excited about is the entire outdoor recreation scene. Everything from manufacturers to um, tour operators to just enthusiasts who love to get out and experience the great outdoors on the water, on their bikes, or or
0: jogging around. So, what what will the presence be here?
1: Yeah, so Northwest Arkansas is really uniquely situated for us geographically. It's got great access to markets for us in the Upper Midwest, in the Mid Atlantic and the Southeast, in addition to just being a great market in, in its own right. To start out with, we're going to have a distribution center that's going to service our dealer network. Um, and after that, you know, who knows? I could see us adding additional people there to help with product design, uh, sales and marketing. You know, sky's really the limit. And we're really excited just to be in an area that's got all sorts of potential.
0: All right. So how does this happen? How does you can be on in a corner of the United States looking towards the middle of the United States? How does Eddie line be able to develop a a distribution center in Northwest Arkansas?
1: Yeah. So one of the challenges uh, in kayak manufacturing is just getting the product to the consumer, right? You know, we like to joke that we ship big boxes of air, um, but, you know, we we make a product that can be up to 20 feet long and it's got to get to the consumer somehow. And one of the challenges with COVID has been, you know, the supply chain disruption you know, coupled with uh, a a big boost in outdoor recreation means that it's harder to get products to consumers and they want it more than ever before. So what we're really excited about is being able to have our products be in a location in the United States where really you're about a a day's drive from anywhere, you know, on the Eastern seaboard, uh, except some parts of the uh, uh, New England and the Upper Northeast, But for us, we've got an installed dealer network that we're looking to grow out, and they want to have good access to the product. So for us, we'll be able to have a distribution center in northwest Arkansas and use that to get product as quickly as we can to our dealers and then into the hands of the the consuming public as
3: well.
0: How far along on the process are you? Do you have any idea when you'll actually have that center going?
1: You know, we're pretty early in that process. But we're looking, uh, and I'm hopeful that you know sometime this year, this calendar year we're we've got a solution in place uh, for at least the next couple of years, and then we'll see as we grow if that might need to change and shift over time as well. We've designed kayaks that are lightweight, and that's really important for access as well. So you know a kayak can be challenging to transport, and by making lightweight kayaks, that just means that we have the sport accessible to a lot more people. I'm
0: assuming you're a kayaker as well. I am. All right. Do you have a favorite boat that you use? Oh boy, that's like asking a, <laughs> a
1: father if he has a favorite child. The answer is always yes, but you're always hesitant to say it, right? Um, so, really, the 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 a kayak's a tool, and it really just depends on the type of water and, and what you're looking to get out of it we make a kayak that's called the Rio and I like to think of it as kind of the sports coupe in our lineup. Um, it's small, lightweight. I'm kind of a smaller framed paddler myself. And I really like that kayak because I can put it on all sorts of different types of water. If I'm driving around with it on my roof rack, I can, you know, get out in the river. I can get out on the lake. I can even take on some, some bigger open water on, on the ocean and protected bays and, uh, that's, that's, that's probably the boat that I would say is my favorite in
0: our lineup. Scott Hawley is the president of Eddyline Kayaks, based in Burlington, Washington. This month, Eddyline Kayaks announced it is raising a minority growth equity investment from RZC Investments in Bentonville, an investment firm focused on deploying capital into operating businesses as the investment arm for Stuart Walton and Tom Walton. As part of that investment, RZC Vice President Don Huffner will join the Eddyline Kayaks
2: board. Dr. Karee Banton, director of the African and African American Studies Program at the University of Arkansas and host of the podcast Undisciplined, along with KUAF Public Radio, presents Undisciplined Live in celebration of Black History Month. The first live podcast recording is The Fight for Justice and Equity in Northwest Arkansas on Wednesday... February 2nd at the Jones Center in Springdale from 6 to 7 30 p.m. You can find more details about all of the upcoming Undisciplined Live recordings at KUAF.com.
0: Just ahead on this Monday, Ozarks at Large. We'll go back into the past to talk about the past. We'll hear again a prior Center profile with Randy Dixon from the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History that we recorded and aired last March, all about the history of movies being created inside the state of Arkansas. That's just ahead. Downtown Springdale again in 2022. will be hosting a series of free art walks. The idea to showcase creatives that work and live in the downtown area of Springdale. Galleries will be involved. Museums will be involved. Makers, spaces, boutiques, all in downtown Springdale opening their doors for exhibitions and entertainment throughout the year. The first Art Walk will take place this month, February 12th. You can pick up a self-guided map at 105 Spring Street. If you'd like to know more, you can go to downtownspringdale.org. And speaking of February 12th, the Museum of Native American History in Bentonville, Mona, will host Creative Visions, Love Letters to Your Family History with Bobby C. Martin on Saturday, February 12th, beginning at 4.30 p.m. He is a Muscogee Creek artist, and he'll lead a collage workshop. Registration is required. There will be a fee for supplies. If you'd like more information about this event, you can go to the website mona.us. That's M-O-N-A-H.us. Just think Museum of Native American History. <laughs> This is Ozarks at Large. If you're a movie fan at all, you know what that is referencing. It's the movie Gone with the Wind. There's a reason we heard that. And to help me explain that reason on this Monday is Randy Dixon with the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History. Randy, welcome back.
7: Hey, thanks for having me,
0: Kyle. And why did we hear Gone with the Wind music there? (laughs) (laughs) Well... Um, you know that that's a nineteen thirty
7: nine movie and huge blockbuster mm. and uh there is what one maybe what five to eight second shot <laughs> right in the opening credits of the old mill in North Little Rock. so that's sort of an early claim to fame. For uh, Arkansas as a backdrop for movies,
0: we bring this up because our subject this week for Prior Center Profiles: movies in Arkansas.
7: Yes, and our friend Bob Cochran uh, has written a book called "Lights, Camera, Arkansas" that sort of outlines, you know, all of the uh, places. That have been shot in Arkansas, but also a lot of the stars like Dick Powell, right? Uh, Alan
0: Ladd, right? And there's no way we can, in, you know, get everything in Arkansas movie history because there was Bronco Billy, who was the first big cowboy star in the silent era. A lot of other movies, right? But we're gonna we're gonna talk about some of them, including one of the big ones, True Grit. That'd be Glenn Campbell.
7: Yeah, that was a huge film, and they had the world premiere in Little Rock at uh, a, a place um, called the Cinema 150. It was a big uh, new place, and the Democratic Party did a fundraiser, and he he didn't really know about that, but uh, they raised money and... Uh, he was he was there for the opening. and
11: Glenn, how do you feel about tonight? Oh, I feel great, really. It's kind of really one of the big highlights of my life, I think. We've seen you as a singer, heard you as a musician, and now we're going to see you as an actor. <laughs> any, any last thoughts before this film rolls? <laughs> I don't know. I, I hope it comes out good.
0: Here's the great thing about the history of movies in Arkansas, and there are some that are very well uh, reviewed Sling Blade and Mud and things like that, but there are the others that oh my gosh, yes, that I really that I also have a very special place for that. Maybe the critics didn't love, but we sure did. Charles B. Pierce, <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> the town that dreaded sundown. Well, I mean, you would you, you
7: would call him a B movie uh, director. I mean, he was a, an advertising guy in Little Rock and just decided to dump all of his money into making movies. And, you know, he did some good movies. But his most famous, you know, was The Legend of Boggy Creek.
0: If you're of a certain age and you grew up in Arkansas, you saw this at the theater. I mean, it got held over at Baxter Theater because so many of us went to it more than once. Oh, and it scared the heck out of you. Oh, yeah, it did. All right, you've got well, something connected. What he
7: did, he he did it like a documentary. We were dealing with uh, authentic happenings in documentary style. So our problem was to make this picture entertaining uh, and and stay uh, with the truth, you know, truth about it. And it is true, and it is exactly the way it happened. We even shot. Uh, a great, uh, the biggest part of this film was shot in the exact houses that had happened uh, using the exact people uh, we even would go into the exact room to shoot it, that's how authentic it is uh, in the cases uh, where a person could not play themselves because maybe directorially or they had outgrown the age then that's when we would cast but other than that, they were and even then they were always on the set with us uh, to authenticate exactly what we were doing
0: it's Charles Pierce. You talked to, um, not Charles Pierce, but his daughter. Yes, we talked
7: just a few minutes ago, and she has actually gone through the process of uh, digitizing the original film, and it's been re-released. So you can get it now on uh, on demand. You can get it on DVD and uh, Blu-ray. But uh, Pam Pierce, his daughter, talked to me about uh, the the film.
12: So it means a lot to a lot of people. So that's that's what's brought me the greatest. I mean, I love the movie, of course, you know. And and I'm so happy that I'm able to honor my dad and his work like that. But it, it brings immense pleasure to make so many people happy.
0: Here's a reason that movie scared so many of us around here is because we'd heard about the Boggy Creek monster. (laughs) So, you know, there was part of you that thought, maybe that is a documentary, maybe it is real. And there were people in Arkansas who say they encountered the monster.
7: Well, you know, Channel 7 being the news team (laughs) that was there decided to go down to Miller County. And since it was based on a true story, they talked to the sheriff of Miller County and wanted to ask him about: um, Is this for real, or you know, what happened?
11: Well, I was called here at 12:20 a.m. that they had heard a monster on or something on the porch of walking. They assumed it was a man at first, then. Later on, they saw it and shot at it and said it had big, red, furry eyes. And when I came up, I couldn't find anything. Then I went back home and went to bed, and at uh, 120, they came and got me again. They had shot at it again, and it had grabbed Bobby Ford, and he had fell off of a ladder onto the ground scuffling way, and he j- jumped up and ran through the round to the front steps and went in the house, jumped through the door glass of a door and ran in the house. Then he passed out. Well, when we got him to the hospital and got him to, he described it as being a large, hairy, armed monster of some kind. And we came back down here and looked and didn't find anything.
0: That's the sheriff in Miller County where... The Legend of Boggy Creek uh, is, is set. <laughs> and and make a note, Randy, the next time we do one of our visual, we're going to show this clip. It's one thing to hear it, oh, but we want to see it, too.
7: But there's yeah, more. Because there's also a reporter who does a, does a stand-up walking through the woods <laughs> with binoculars looking for the <laughs> foul monster. Well, you've got to...
0: But, but, but wait, this Falk monster came back for more. Oh, yes. Yeah, and so the sheriff talks about a second visit.
11: Yeah, my son, down close to where the folks saw it, Mr. and Ms. Woods and Sedgash Saturday night, well, my son lives right down a half a mile, and his dogs kept a barking and howling, and he turned them loose and sicked them on something. And it would holler and scream like a woman. Then the dogs would turn back. And he couldn't get them to run it enough to catch it or run it out. And uh, so he just finally went back to the house.
0: Draw your own conclusions there. The guy (laughs) ran through the glass door. (laughs) Yes, and then passed out. And then passed out. What else do you have for us? Well...
7: Harry Thomason, everyone knows Harry Thomason and linda bloodworth thomason they uh designing women and uh all kinds of shows and he was a he was a football coach in Arkansas and became a movie director and um this is him talking about. A uh, movie that they were doing called Lester Boggs. Yeah. We've been doing our own distributing in the past, and it makes it difficult for us to cover the country. And uh, like with our first two films, we still covered less than 20% of the country. And so now we've entered into this agreement with Star Master International, which will give us the needed capital and uh, the expertise that we need to make it a truly worldwide big league film, so to speak.
0: All right. You know, there was a period in the late 60s through the mid 70s where it seemed every year at least one movie was being made in Arkansas, not by an Arkansan. You had a very young Jonathan Demme who would eventually win an Oscar for directing um, uh, Silence of the Lambs. He came in to do Fighting Mad. That was filmed in Washington and Benton County. You had Martin yeah. Scorsese, who was an unknown at the time. He came into central Arkansas and filmed um, a Boxcar Bertha. You had Robert De Niro, a very young Robert De Niro, and Bruce Dern and Oscar winner Shelley Winters coming in to do Bloody Mama around Yellville and the Buffalo River. There was another one that was filmed around the Buffalo River.
7: Yes, and that had... A lot to do with Arkansas. Uh, Barbara Pryor, as you may recognize the name of the David and Barbara Pryor Center, uh, she was the executive producer. And um, a film was done called Wishbone Cutter.
0: Whoa, wait, 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 wait. So the Barbara Pryor was an executive producer of this film? Yes. I did not know that until right now. I did no, not Okay.
7: Get the whole thing. But where are you connected with it, <laughs> my friend?
0: Okay. So <laughs> <laughs> This is crazy that you brought this up when you when you brought this up to me earlier today. I couldn't believe you had mentioned the words wishbone cutter because it really flew under the radar. It was filmed around the Buffalo River. But much, most of the cast and crew stayed in Bull Shoals and Lakeview, Arkansas, where I grew up. My father at the time was the bartender at Gaston's, right, on the White River. The folks who were connected with the film were either staying there or would like to come down and, and, and drink there because Baxter County was dry at that point, so Gaston's was one of the very few places you could get a drink. My dad was the bartender. He got cast as a bartender. In the movie, the only movie he was ever in. And if you go to IMDb and you look at the full cast, Don Kellum's Bartender.
7: That's great. Well, I talked to Barbara just a little earlier today, and she talks about, uh, you know, making that movie here. Um, That was a very happy time when we made the film Wishbone Cutter on the Buffalo River. And it was uh, a great deal of fun, and we loved doing it. Unfortunately, (laughs) the film itself was not um, a success in that it was a box office hit, but um, we did have a good time doing it, and later uh, we sold it to um, uh, the Networks. NBC and the foreign Right. so it was seen by some people, but it was not a huge hit like Charlie Charlie's films
0: were, or even um, uh, Harry's. All right, in the same in the same vein as Bloody Mama and Boxcar Bertha and Wishbone Cutter, <laughs> is White Lightning. Yeah, I mean, we had these sort of. Well, I'm not going to call you know, them redneck movies, but they were very. Of no, you're Arkansas. Right.
7: No, you're dead on. They're, they were redneck movies. <laughs> I was about to say the same thing. <laughs>
0: okay.
7: And who better than Burt Reynolds in the early 70s, right? Right. And um, they shot this all around Benton, Arkansas. And actually, my uh, old chief editor at Channel 7. Ed Eves was, uh, he did some work on that. And um, so Channel 7 sat sat down with um, Bert and talked to him about his, you know, his celebrity. But the main thing was that he had just posed for Cosmopolitan. Right.
9: Nude. Yes. Uh, only since Cosmopolitan have I asked for as much privacy as I've been asking for lately, because people have gotten a little strange. Um, when I did, a, I just did a movie in New York called Seamus, and uh, it was unbelievable, it was really unbelievable. We shot in Brooklyn, and we would have two, three thousand people, totally uncontrollable people, and they weren't teeny boppers, they were middle-aged, lovely housewives. And they were there to collect souvenirs like my ear, <laughs> uh, and uh, it got a little out of hand. You know, I would have loved to have sat down and talked to them individually, but when they come at you like that in mass, it's a little difficult to handle. And they find out where you're at, and when they find out, they they come up and knock on the door. They don't care what time—two, three, four, five o'clock in the morning.
2: So how do you handle it?
9: Well, it it used to amuse me but it doesn't amuse me anymore because I get to get up at five o'clock in the morning and go to work. I've had calls here at uh, two o'clock in the morning and I say don't call me after 10 and they'll say it's George McGovern's secretary or it's Mrs. Wallace. is worried about George Wallace or it's Mrs. Nixon. And I'll say what, And say, Mrs. Nixon. And I said look, you're crazy to fall for that. But I go ahead. I figure anybody that's that enterprising, you know, I'll talk to them. What the heck? They might be terrific.
7: So it 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 caused a, you know a big stir, sure. of course, down in Central Arkansas, and they uh, called for extras, you know, cast members, and Channel Seven went and just talked to some of these mop top, long hair. Uh, kids who, you know, wanted to be stars and be in this movie.
11: You looking for any particular kind of part? Uh, no, ma'am. Like to be a movie star, though? Well, I'm, I'm planning on going into theatrical arts, mostly scenery and background. So I'm majoring in that in college you think this is going to be your big break in the movie. I believe so. Yeah. <laughs> Would you like to be a movie star? Yeah, that, that'd really be nice. <laughs> uh, there are about a thousand people here. What do you think your chances are of getting a part in the movie? Oh, one in a thousand. <laughs> Kind of like you're about to give up and go home. Well, yeah, I don't think there's going to be that much money in it, man.
0: Talk about someone who is firmly planted in reality. It's that guy at the end who wants to be a movie star. That's one in a thousand. There are a thousand of us here. I might get in. I love that. Yeah,
7: and that that and the other guys, well, you know, they just aren't going to be able to pay me enough.
0: Well, you know. (laughs) And like I said, we weren't able to even get close to all of the movies that have been made in Arkansas. Oh,
7: no. Hey, well, let's do another
0: one. Okay. You can find all these, uh, this information and so much more. Just put Pryor Center into a search engine. You'll find it there. Randy Dixon is with the David and Barbara Prior Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History. Randy, as always, it's been a hoot. Thanks for bringing these archives.
10: The Scott Family Museum in Bentonville welcomes Math Moves, a collection of hands-on exhibits that invite playful exploration of ratio and proportion. Activities and math moves designed for all ages. Find more information on this and other experiences at amazium.org. KUAF is supported by Little Guys Movers, a community-oriented company rooted in creating better lives for customers and employees alike, providing jobs and serving customers for over 28 years. More than just a moving company. LittleGuys.com for information.
0: Thanks for being with us. This is Ozarks at Launch for the final day of January 2022. Aiden Owens now has the second best collegiate heptathlon score in history. Owens, competing in his first heptathlon as a Razorback, scored 6,272 points this weekend, his achievement coming during the Razorback Invitational Meet held in Fayetteville. The Arkansas Razorback men's basketball team's winning streak is now six games. Arkansas, 16-5 overall, defeated West Virginia Saturday afternoon. Up next, a return to SEC action with a Wednesday night game against Georgia. And the Arkansas women are playing tonight in Knoxville, facing number 4, Tennessee. The John Brown University basketball teams are surprised. Already entering the stretch drive of the regular season, just six regular season games remaining for both squads. The men are fifteen and nine; the women are twelve and twelve. Both teams play each of their next three games on the road. Each, by the way, has just two home games remaining in the regular season, including the next one, Saturday, February twelfth, dates against Mid America Christian in Bill George Arena in Salem Springs. The University of Arkansas Fort Smith basketball teams are both in Stubblefield Arena Thursday night for games against Texas A&M Commerce. The women, five and thirteen so far this year, tip off Thursday night at five thirty. The UAFS men, eleven and nine this season, follow at seven thirty. A reminder that UAFS is requiring masks be worn at all times inside the Stubblefield Center, regardless of social distancing. And both University of Arkansas tennis teams are well into the 2022 season now. The men's team is 6-1 and one after defeating Alabama yesterday. The only loss for them so far this year, number 21 Mississippi State. The Razorbacks will be at Oklahoma Sunday afternoon and play next in Fayetteville on February 11th when they host Drake. The women's tennis team at the U of A is 4-1. They'll play in the state of Kansas twice this week, Friday at Kansas State in Manhattan, and then Sunday afternoon at Kansas in Lawrence. The women's next match in Dill's Indoor Stadium on the U of A campus is Saturday, February 19th, when they'll host Wichita State.
10: A more accurate and less invasive method for detecting breast cancer, which could mean fewer follow-up procedures for patients. It's scratching the surface on KUAF. I'm Pete Hartman. This past fall, electrical engineering professor at the U of A, Magda L. Shanawi, was awarded a near $430,000 grant from the National Institutes of Health to further her work with pulsed terahertz imaging, a type of electromagnetic radiation technology that can produce higher quality images of biological tissue. Right now, radiography and CT scans are the main ways to detect cancerous growths in the breast, but it has a hard time of discerning the edges of the mass, this newer technology can give a much clearer picture to the surgeon. Here's Magda el
12: When the surgeon removes the lump, he relies on the image of, re- of the X-ray. So he approximately defines the margins and he will remove what he thinks is the whole cancer. If any cancer cells remain in the breast, the cancer will come back. And this is not a small percentage of women that they do a second surgery.
10: el says 20 to 30 percent of patients have to go back into surgery to get what was missed the first time, something that can be very difficult for a cancer patient. With this pulsed terahertz imaging, the surgeon can instantly, while the patient is still on the operating table, re-image the area to find anything that was missed.
12: So you can see the margins, and if the margins has any cancer or doubts of cancer, we inform the surgeon uh, to cut more. If you cut more than you should, then the breast will not be conserved. I mean, the woman may lose her breast. So we need to cut not much and not, not more. That's at least the engineering goal. If we succeed, this can be applied to other tumors. Any tumors is taken out of the body.
10: UA electrical engineering professor Magda L. shanoui and her team have been working on this new imaging technology for the past five years. She says the grant from the NIH will help them to define the edge of cancerous masses and healthy tissue in an even clearer way. Scratching the Surface is a production of KUAF Public Radio, a listener-supported service of the University of Arkansas. You can hear past episodes at KUAF.com.
0: Tomorrow on Ozarks at Large, this summer, the University of Arkansas and the National Endowment for the Humanities will team up to help school teachers from around the country.
12: These are programs from the NEH to encourage cooperation between college and university professors and secondary educators. So everyone from kindergarten through senior high school educators who are trying to bring in new materials to their classes or invigorate classes that they've been teaching for a long time, try new methods or new sources. And I I think we've got a great set of teams here who are um, people that are really doing exciting new things in the classroom and are ready to work together with educators to see how these techniques might be incorporated into their classrooms.
0: Now teachers can use digital resources, oral history methods, history, literature, and more to teach about pandemics, slavery, and more. That conversation on tomorrow's Ozarks at Large at noon and 7 p.m. on 91.3 KUAF. And you can always listen to our program whenever you'd like if you download or subscribe to the podcast version of the daily Ozarks at Large program, podcast found through any major podcast distributor. I'm Scott Tong. A documentary producer marks a half century of asking deep and difficult
1: questions inspired by this one.
7: How do we hold on to our humanity
2: in these times of relentless change and daunting challenge? Producer David Freudberg, next time on Here and Now.
0: Here and Now in just a moment, beginning at one on KUAF. You can always listen to KUAF by asking your smart speaker to please play. KUAF. The second season of Undisciplined with host Dr. Karee Banton is now underway. Produced by Ozarks at Large's Matthew Moore, the podcast continues to be a co-production of KUAF and the University of Arkansas Department of African and African-American Studies. First episode of the new season can be found right now through all major podcast locations, and the next episode will be available on Wednesday. We'll hear an excerpt from that episode on our show, Ozarks at Large, Wednesday as well. And be sure to check out our new podcast series, The Lunch Hour, put together by KUAF's Jasper Logan. Each month, we're pairing musicians with restaurant owners and business owners from around our region. You can check out the first edition featuring Bang and Jeremy Gothrop from Woodstone Pizza right now at the KUAF YouTube page. This is 91.3 KUAF Fayetteville, Fort Smith. Rogers, and Van Buren. 91.3 KUAF is a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas and Ozarks at Large, likewise, is a production of KUAF. Timothy Dennis produced today's show. Contributors this Monday included Daniel Carruth, Jacqueline Froelich, and Randy Dixon with the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History. Scratching the Surface is hosted and produced by Pete Hartman inside the Nancy Blair Operations Studio at the Carver Center for Public Radio. Rachel Sanchez-Smith assisted with show production creation today as well. Additional material that you heard in today's show came from the talented news staff at KUAR, Public Radio for Central Arkansas and in Little Rock. Our theme is titled The First Hurrah It Is Performed by Daryl Shawn. We have more news from around the state and region for you tomorrow morning at 530 and 730 with local newscasts from Daniel Carruth, Inside Morning Edition. I'll be back with you tomorrow at noon and seven from the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio. I'm Kyle Callums.